You're visiting the mom next door and our stories of faith. I'm glad you dropped by for a visit. Please stay a while and hear what the Lord has done in the lives of moms just like you and me. Well, if you've been listening the last couple weeks, you've gotten to know Grandma Thelma. And today, she is going to share with her her wisdom of about home education. She home educated her two boys all the way through graduation, and she's now actually really helpful in our local homeschool community. She teaches some classes for high schoolers, and I know she also kind of jumps in whenever possible to help her grandchildren be homeschooled. So she's just got a lot of insight that I hope will encourage you if you are a longtime homeschooler or if you are just right now in a situation where you are looking at homeschooling for next year as a possibility. So here we go with Grandma Thelma. Uh, Deciding to homeschool. Now this you don't know about me. I, before we started homeschooling, in about 1986, I think that's the year of the first Ocean Conference, and my take on homeschooling is that these were weirdos. These were fringe lunatics. These were people who didn't have social security numbers and lived out in the boonies to stay away from notice of the government. These were weirdos. You must have a real teacher to teach your child. You're going to miss important things and your children will be nuts. And that really was my thought. And we even had friends come over and tell us all about the conference and how they were going to homeschool. And their child was an infant. And Bill was had just started third grade. And I thought, oh my goodness, who would... Uh, the teacher, the, she's got a teaching certificate. She must be better. And then we went to our first parent conference for the year. And we went into Bill's classroom. He was eight years old. And we went in for our conference. And the teacher said, now I suppose Bill has told you that I've instructed him not to raise his hand. And I said what? And Pam, I still get uh, the heebie-jeebies and the hairs on my arm stand up when I tell the story because I said, you told our son what? What did you tell our son? She said, I can't wait for him. He He stuttered. And she said, I can't wait for him. So I've instructed him not to raise his hand. Wow. And we got up and we left. If you, so, so her point was, if you, if I call on you, I expect an immediate response. Yes, she could and, not wait. And because you are slow at this, at the uptake on the, on the response, you're bringing down the class. Right, right. Wow. Don't raise your hand. Wow. And so we pulled him out, and we went, we ended up, I don't know how we found Kurt and Jenny Bumcrot up at Basic Skills, but Jenny, who was a just a young thing back then, this is... 35 years ago. She was just a young thing and we found out we had to be tested and we took Bill in for testing and she said, well, she said, your son is a math whiz but he can't read any of the words. If I read the problems to him, he can do all the math as far as I was going but she said he can't read really barely a word. And they had him in the highest reading group and the lowest math group. And so we realized, oh, this is from God. We do need to homeschool. And it was tough because we immediately ordered a Becca third grade curriculum and Bill couldn't read a word, (laughs) couldn't read a word, not a thing. And we would go on these field trips with friends and all their children were reading and my child was nine and still couldn't really read. And that's the word for the young moms. If your child is a slow reader, 
it doesn't matter. It, boys are like that. Zach was a very reluctant reader. And some girls. Bill, yes, Bill yeah. was a reluctant reader. They will finally learn how to read. I've, I really haven't met any normal person who by 20 is not reading. <laughs> right, right. They're all reading. Well, sometimes it's desire because I had a couple of mine that just really were not interested in reading. And I'll tell you, yes. even my... Even my seven-year-old now, my youngest, is not interested in reading at all. Yes. Um, but it's it's interest and desire. Um, yes. Maybe there was not an interesting book. So I just keep kept getting different books, different topics, and eventually one of them sparked interest. You know, I, I thought the homeschool ideal was the G.A. Henty and the Ballantine and the, you know, these really heady, my children should be reading these. Yes. And... Then when I went and got some books from the library about how to throw a baseball and um, that type of thing, yes. this one child that was reluctant to read was like, ooh, I want to figure out how to Nolan throw a baseball Ryan. better. Nolan oh, Ryan yeah. biography. Yeah, it just changed things. And, and then um, another one, I kept going, taking a run at books, but they were just not the right genre when we finally hit, like, wait, I can, well, actually this one um, just was not interested in reading at all. And I thought, oh, I'm failing. My right, child isn't right. reading. He'll never read. Oh, and it was one of my girls. And one day, she's just a little busy with things. And one day, just to keep her busy, I got out one of the older children's snap circuit kits. And it came with a set of instructions. And I just just to keep her busy, thinking she'd just plink things together, I set the snap circuit kits and I said, here, this is, have fun with this. Here's the instruction book. And I walked away. That girl was there two and a half hours. And I checked on her every now and then. And she'd be like, I just did this one. I just, she had followed, she read, and she followed every instruction in that book. <laughs> it was just that I had been feeding her the wrong content where this sparked this joy in her is to create these scientific ex experiments oh, in there, the you know, and my youngest right now, he just doesn't want to learn to read because, okay, he's number nine. Why would I learn to read? Because right, everybody, right. that means an end to everybody doing things for me and getting things for me right. and sitting on their lap for them to read to me. So yes. for him, it's a totally different story. Yes. So, so there's a lot of reasons why kids don't read and it, it doesn't mean it's not the mark of failure. Yes. Yes. Well, those first couple of years, we tried all these curriculums, and none of those worked. And within a couple of years, I learned I was not a curriculum type. I was the type to download what you should be teaching in third grade, just an outline, and then do it all myself and go get 100 library books and order 20 more and do it myself. And that is what we ended up doing. I did my own thing, basically. Mm -hmm. I, we ended up using the Weaver curriculum, mm -hmm. which you bought this big old notebook, and they just gave you topics mm -hmm. and headings under the topics, mm -hmm. and then I would go to the library and we'd get all these books and bring them home. Mm -hmm. And then I would concentrate kind of on the things that interested me. Right. Bill, by the time he was 16, was in community college, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much full time. And Zach was in community college by the time he was 14. Yeah. Uh, because they both passed me up. They both ended up being math wizards, and I could not do math past about fifth grade. And so I, that God kept me humble, because people would say, oh, your, your kids have so much fun homeschooling, and you do so much of your schooling, you don't do workbooks and things like that. And I, and I was thinking, but I can't do any math. Uh, they're on their own for their math. People kept credit with... Sometimes people credit us as homeschool parents. Well, you must be so smart. That's why you can teach. Right. When some of us, we sit here and go, 
this is God's grace. This is God. um, And and it's sometimes just awakening that desire to learn and and teaching them how to have a thirst for knowledge. Yes, yes. Teach them to learn. And that is the point. Uh, Zach, that I worried so much that he would never learn to read, by the time he was in the sixth grade, he aced. He got 99 or 100% in his college-level biblical Greek class in the sixth grade. And so that was the first time I realized he might be exceptional. And he did end up being in the top half of 1% of the nation by the time he got down to Oregon State. And they wanted him to go into some type of astrophysics or something. And he said, where are the jobs? And it was going to be like Florida and somewhere else. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to stay in Oregon. So so it got, and I think God has a sense of humor. And he thought, well, to keep Thelma humble, let's just give her really smart kids so that she knows it's me and not her. And I, I do make a good speaker for that reason. I can tell ladies, listen, if I can do it, any of you can do it. I always know I am not the smartest person in this room. I tell that to my kids in my classes. I do a New Testament survey and an Old Testament survey. And in Old Testament survey, I teach them a little bit of Hebrew. And New Testament survey, they learn quite a bit of Greek. And I always tell the kids, I know I am not the smartest person in this room. If I can do this, you can do this. And I think it gives them confidence to think, yes, yes. And it's God. It has to be God working through us. Mm -hmm. If it's you, you're trying too hard. Okay, you sound really smart right there. But (laughs) again, I I would have to say, if moms listening to that are like, well, she thinks she's not that smartest person in the room, but I, I hear what she just talked about, this biblical Greek and Hebrew and all this stuff. You are 63, right? I am 63. You, you've taken a few runs at this, and the more runs we take at stuff, the long and the longer we have to learn, the more solid it becomes in us. Yes. So you didn't start out no. like that. This no, was went, a process. I on, went back to seminary in the year 1999. I went to seminary, and I attended for four years, and I did the exegetical theology track, I did 49 out of 60 of the credit classes, but I did not get any type of a master's degree because the other 11 credits were all about shepherding your flock and counseling and things like that that I would never do. It was mostly guys, and I took it because Zach, my youngest, didn't need me, and because I had lost. You know, we lost five unborn children. I ended up with two boys seven years apart. It was like two only children. My homeschool life compared with you I had all types of free time to read, and then by the time with Zach, I was able to just go back to school. Zach was directing himself pretty much, and I was able to go back to school, and I went to seminary. It was, I I loved seminary. That and was, I, you know. I think that's a beautiful thing because God does have a different plan for each person. Yes. And he gave you the exact perfect number of children that you were to raise. Yes, but I know? fought it. I fought it at about 42. At 42, I went to my gynecologist and said, is there any way that I could still have a baby? And she checked my fallopian tubes, and they were like telephone cords, the old mm-hmm. type. That she said, I, you know, I don't think there's any way possible. Mm-hmm. And she said only 25% of 42-year-old women even ca- can have babies. Well, my homeschool friends all had babies up till 50. You know, mm-hmm. So I didn't realize the stats, the odds were against us. And that was very hard for me. And it took me a couple of years of lamenting and mourning that dream of the big family. I really did. I was very depressed. I had times, I was running uh, 1,400 miles a year back then and keeping in great shape. And I remember there were times I was so depressed, I would close my eyes and run across the street Mm -hmm. and think, 
if I die, I die. If there's a mm. car, there's a car. If not, I'll make it. I mean, and we would call that today suicidal. But I, I never looked at it that way then. But looking back, I realized, yes, I, I, I thought my dream was over. And I thought I would rather die than not ever, ever have more children. I really thought we were just waiting. I would be, eventually be able to try again or there would be some new drug or something like that. I did have to take fertility drugs mm-hmm. uh, to get pregnant. And mm-hmm. so it was, and then I just couldn't stay pregnant. Yeah. And so I did have to go through that mourning loss. And that was about the same time then that I started going to school. I started going to seminary. And so mm-hmm. the word really, if I, if I could have chosen my own path, if I could have been God, I would have had my six children. And I would have had the big family. And that was my desire. But by the time I was 42, 44, perhaps, I had given up and decided God knows what's best for me. If, if that's a dream, that's one of those princess dreams that needed to disappear anyway. That wasn't looking for God's will. That was looking for my will, what I wanted mm-hmm. out of life. And of course, I never would have gone to seminary. So of course, if you have six or nine children, you can't go to seminary. But for me, that was a real possibility. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And it was it was a fulfillment that I never even dreamed, never dreamed I would be able to go to seminary. And then it happened. And I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. He birthed a new thing yes. in you. Oh, it was so, and I could take sandwiches to the, all the guys I was going to school with were in their 20s, you know, right out of yeah. Bible college. And so I was able to take them food and make them cinnamon rolls. And I was kind of the mom of the group. And um, it was it was a wonderful experience. You probably kept them in line. Probably. And I learned to let go of piercings and tattoos a lot of some of these guys came into seminary this is back in 2000 would come in on skateboards with tattoos and piercings and things and I learned I had to let go of my expectation of what a decent young person looked like I had to let go of that and realize these guys came from all walks of life and people do to think permanent things to themselves and later on they're not that person anymore and we're still judging them by all the tattoos and the piercings and things and the holes in their ears Think of the holes people are going to have in their ears now from those plugs. And it's just, we have to let go of what they look like and realize this is a person for whom Jesus Christ died. And, you know, they're not judging me by my wrinkles or my fat. Uh, and so I, you, we just, we have to quit judging one another. Uh, um, I just think how interesting that would be to sit down and say, you don't look like the person that I expected to see here at seminary. I want to hear your story. Right. Because I love stories. And yes. I just think there's there's going to be um, a story of Christ's redemption and a story yes. of victory. Rescue stories. Yes. Yes, definitely they're rescue stories. Definitely they're rescue stories. Uh, so the homeschooling was not easy, and I really did my own thing. Uh, friends, friends of the children is a huge big deal, and you know that. We chose friends very carefully. I would observe on field trips how children, boys, I had boys, how they treated their mothers and other kids and girls. And then I would evaluate based on that whether that was okay for my son to be their friend. I was very particular and I was very judgmental. I believe when you're raising sons, uh, you have to be that way. They're friends because you don't want them to have be the companion of fools mm-hmm. and become fools themselves. And so who choosing who they have for friends is, I think, essential. You can't just be friends with the neighbor next door. Uh, best things of our, of our homeschool experience, the best things was learning how to do the one-on-one. 
starting the one-on-one. My husband does that at work with his boss. And we'd sit our boys down once a month and we would go through a list of things and talk about who their friends are, where they're at in their spiritual walk so far, how they are doing with their Bible reading, how are they doing with their school, uh, who their friends are. And we would evaluate those things and we would try and look at those things as though it was a job and say, what do you need to do more of or less of? See less of, who is a friend you'd like to see more of? They live farther away, but we approve of them. Yes, we'll go out of our way to make that happen. Things like that, where they could talk with us one-on-one, and we would come out of there having mutually made some decisions and choices. And that, that was a very, that was a big step for us and very important for the boys. I think that's a really good opportunity to give your children a voice. And I think, like, us in a large family it's really easy to to get somebody lost yes and you know we get going on our things and we have this assumption that everybody wanted I don't know pineapple on their pizza yes or something and and then we find out later what you didn't um I, I never realized that so one thing um one thing I do always around October toward us getting into gift giving season is I have a little survey I've made up for my children mm-hmm. and I say it, it's it's funny and it's changed through the years when everybody was little it was one survey and now it's changed a little bit as they've gotten older but my survey when they were younger was more like what's your favorite candy bar yes do you like a soda what soda is your favorite do you like a certain pack of chips or what's your favorite restaurant what's your favorite color um just these real like and just for my sake of record keeping what size shoes are yours what size pants and i would do some of these things and then when they got older I changed it a little bit as I started to have adults and, and teenagers. I had some of those same things, but once they get a license in their own income, then, you know, some of this is less right. relevant. So then I started changing it. Like, what has been one challenge in your life this year? Yes. Like, what is there something I can pray for you about? You know, what is one thing you've learned this year that, uh, what's your favorite verse? Ha, you know, who's your favorite music artist? Of course, I can't give them a CD anymore because that right. digitally has changed. But the idea of being taking a survey and writing really good questions yes. and using that as that checkpoint. And then what I've been able to do as I do it in October heading into gift giving is um, my mom is at, always asked, can you photocopy those for me? Yes. And so I photocopy. She has the interests and desires of all the grandchildren. And then she uses that as her shopping list. Yes. You know, and one year when, you know, my boys are teenagers, what do they want? Here she shows up with a case of Dr. Pepper with a pile of whatever, Skittles or something on top of it. Because they're teenage Aww. boys and they don't really, you know. Right. So anyway, that's something we've done because it's important for those yes. kids to feel like, you know, I'm mom's listening to me and yeah. I do, I do hold value and my opinion, you know, sometimes we might get dinner out for our family. And when I realize that this child, we haven't picked the thing they've liked for a very long time. I want to go back and make sure I hit that from time yes. to time. Yes. We do yeah. that with our grandchildren. Our boys had to settle for pretty much clothes on all occasions because underwear socks underwear socks sweaters things like that but eventually things got a little bit better um the the best the best of our the best of our homeschooling that was having those 
Having those one-on-ones, we also learned that from Louisa May Alcott's Joe's Boys. She kept a little book and she talked with her boys once a week about the good and the bad she had seen, what they needed to work on and what was good. Uh, That was also where we read that book out aloud as a family and that was when Mark decided that as a family, and the boys were very young, this is years and years ago, that they liked the way all the men stood behind their chairs at the table until all the women were seated. And we have done that for the last got to be 25 or 30 years maybe 35 years because bill was a little boy probably 35 years and the guys always stand behind their chairs at the table waiting till all the women and it can be a while before the mom sits down because she you're running around the kitchen with everything but they all stand behind their chairs and wait until mom sits down and then they sit and our boys that was something that their prospective brides really admired and both mentioned to us that when they had Bill or Zach, when they had them to their homes and their parents saw the way they stood behind their chair till the mother sat down, till all the ladies sat down, that was kind of like, okay, this guy will do. He has a lot of respect for women. And it was a big deal. And we got that idea from a book. Wow, that's really, I would have never, that wouldn't have ever occurred to me. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, Mark, Mark picked up on that and said, we're going to do that. Uh, we, for a time, probably only a few years, I would fill out little file cards and tell Mark what they were, the boys were studying in science and history and just hand him those file cards. And that kept him abreast of what we were studying topically so that then he would know what to bring up at dinner to mm-hmm. ask them about. And that was really helpful. I didn't do it forever. Uh, then I did have special toys that were only available during school time. Because the boys were seven years apart, I'd be trying to do math with Bill, and Zach would be bored. And so I had a box of toys, and included was a cassette recorder. These are the old days, remember? (laughs) A cassette recorder, and he could pop in a cassette recorder and pop in the cassette, and it was me reading him his Bible stories. And he learned the complete chronology of the Old Testament listening to those Bible stories over and over and over again. So that was a very helpful thing. Then long walks. When somebody cries about math or they can't write a paper and you're pushing the hand, pushing the pencil, we would just call it quits and we would go take a walk. We'd go outside, play with the dog, take a walk around the block, no matter how bad the schedule was, and we all came back and we had a fresh perspective. Things that did not work. uh, Doing school halfway through summer, we did that many years. Things that also were horrible were doing math all the way through summer. We did that. I took care of Mark's mom as she was dying. And we had her in our home for a year and a half, and she was wheelchair-bound. And that really took its toll on our homework. And Bill was completely left alone for his math, and that didn't work. He basically got a year behind doing that. But though, though you put the academics on hold a little bit for that... There was definite life lessons yes. learned in that. So there are yes. seasons where there's that exchange, but I don't think it's a loss. No, you know? no, it's, it's a like, very important life yeah. lesson. Yeah. Yes, and that's she was the Jehovah's Witness. Right. And so it was a very difficult thing for me. And my mother-in-law was not, she's the kind of mother-in-law that you kind of are always afraid you're going to have, one who will be critical of you, critical of me in front of Mark, or really did not like being in our home, but her husband wouldn't let her come back. He didn't want to care for her. And so she was in our home, and so she would be very critical of me mm-hmm. and uh, say things that were quite mean-spirited, and yet we were friends. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was really difficult, but I think our boys saw how you can live even with a difficult person. And I certainly perhaps learned some of my best mother-in-law hints there mm-hmm. because I knew exactly what I was never going to do. And I did love her. I loved her till her death. 
when we are going to wrap up the homeschooling part. Yes. And then I kind of wonder, I don't know, today or another day, we just need to flat out sit here with the list mm-hmm. and just nail all the lists. Yes. <laughs> so Yes. I think oh. that, that is a, probably a good breaking point. I hope that was encouraging to you. It is always good to hear a voice from someone who has gone before us and who can help us navigate and maybe help us put more weight on the things of what is important and what isn't that important and how do we juggle things. And I know we're always needing some insight and another idea. And so hopefully that just blessed you. And I just want to take a second right now and pray for your homeschooling year. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you have given us an opportunity to reach out to the hearts of our children and to help train them and teach them to love you and to follow you. Lord, I pray that the academics will not be overwhelming and that they would not overshadow the other things right now that are even so important and that is building up a faith in our children. Lord, I just pray that those that are new to homeschooling will be able to be connected to the resources that they need and that those of us who have been doing it for a very long time will be open to to bringing in those ones and encouraging them along the way. So Lord, I just pray in this year of transition for so many that you would be glorified and that we would honor you in our relationships and the way we teach and what we teach and how we invest in our children for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that you've been encouraged or challenged in your faith today and that something we discussed prompts you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. If it has, make sure you tell a friend so they can grow along with you. And if you or a friend would like to be a guest and share about God's faithfulness in your life, please email me at podcast at Because when we tell of God's faithfulness, we never run out of stories. Whatever is true.